Good morning. Welcome to Kensington Church. Who's watching some football this afternoon? Championship Sunday. We got some Patriots fans in here. So, yeah, right. You think they've had enough, right? But they're, they're excited nonetheless. Well, welcome. My name is Ryan Morrill. I'm our kids and family director. So glad that you are here today. Uh, if you are new, you're just checking us out, part of your New Year's resolution. You're, 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 you're starting to make church a part of your life here in the month of January and hopefully 2018. Want to make sure you're aware, out in the lobby, following the service, we have our starting point area. People walking around in orange shirts. Uh, they're there. They're, they're present to help you answer any questions you might have. Um, figure out how you can get connected into this church. So following the service, please stop by um, and check out what's going on over there. they got a special gift for you as well. Um, many of those starting point volunteers, as well as the hundreds of volunteers that are working even present here, making this whole entire experience happen this morning, uh, we're down at our Troy campus Friday night in Saturday morning for what we call our leadership gathering. It happens twice a year, and it's a chance for us just to celebrate what God is doing and also refuel um, and, and get ready for what is going to take place in 2018 as well. We had many different speakers, and it was just an incredibly valuable time. And we just say thank you so much to all of you who are kicking it out here in 2018, making this place run. And uh, thanks for joining us, joining us as well this weekend for that experience. Um, final thing I want to make sure you're aware of as you walked in today, you experienced our small groups fair, our groups fair, which is taking place. It's a chance for us to tell you all the ways I was just talking with a couple here in the auditorium, um, who want to get connected with someone that's kind of in their phase of life with the same children. We're offering that out in the lobby, um, for people to get connected, um, and, and stick to this place. This place can feel big, overwhelming at times. Uh, by getting into a group, um, you get to know people, there's a consistency to it, and that's going to make your experience here at Kensington all the better. Um, groups range from uh, those that take place in homes to uh, middle-sized groups that even meet here at the building during the week, things like Financial Peace University that kicks off this week. Um, we have other groups like Divorce Recovery. We have um, an intentional parenting group that starts here in middle of February that's taking place during our weekend services. And even uh, Rob Houtland, one of our um, great leaders here at Kensington, is leading a Thursday night Bible study with men. Um, so a great chance, guys, if you're looking for a connection, a chance to grow deeper in your relationship with God and get to know other guys as well, that's happening on Thursday nights here. So we hope you check that out. Stop by after service um, and see what's available for you. So we're in week three of our Crave series. Today we're talking about how I just can't say no to my body, thinking about what's going on with ourselves and, and just this whole image thing that we have um, in relation in regards to our appearance. And so Cody Wilson is going to be sharing that message in just a little bit. Before he gets into that, though, we'd love for you to stand up and greet a few people around you. Oh, she don't see. 
doing this morning? And that song was awesome. I, I keep telling Nicole, she just sounds amazing on it. Um, but hey, we're so happy. You know what you are? You're welcome here, just the way you are. Um, but uh, it's interesting listening to that song. Some of you guys heard the lyrics. What does it say? It says, you are beautiful. You guys, should I sing? I'm just kidding. It says, you're beautiful just the way you are. And some of you guys know we're in week three of our Crave series, and that's kind of the message of today, craving the perfect 
image or a perfect body image or what that looks like. And it's interesting as you, you hear those lyrics, right? You're beautiful just the way you are. It's one thing to hear it, but I would guess most of us, most days, when we look in the mirror, the thought that goes through our head is not, you're beautiful just the way you are. Am I right? Like, that's pretty rare. I would like to meet that person. Um, but, but it's interesting as we even look at, like, health statistics, fitness web pages. Here's some statistics that stand out to me. It says one out of five men and two out of five women would trade three to five years of their life to achieve their weight goals. The diet industry has sales of 40 billion each year. 41.3 million Americans have a gym membership. I read that stat and I'm like, that doesn't mean we all go though. <laughs> Listen to this one. Young girls are more afraid of becoming fat than they are of nuclear war, cancer, or losing their parents. 80% of 10-year-olds have tried dieting. And I think it's safe to assume as you read those statistics is that most of us are not aligned with the thought process of, I'm beautiful just the way I am. And I would actually propose that most of us, especially when it comes to our bodies, but really anything, I'll be beautiful when I look like this, or I'll consider myself beautiful when I achieve this, or I'll be beautiful when I have this car or this house, that actually the thought process going through our mind most of the times, if you look at our internal thought life, probably is not that we're beautiful just the way we are. And I would ask that question as we dive deeper into today, is when you look in the mirror, what are the thoughts that go through your mind about yourself, about your body? What do you see when you look in the mirror? So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, YouTube videos, download books like how to look beautiful at any age, how to feel great, how to be a healthier you. See, I know all the newest, greatest, smartest, bestest tips on how to take care of yourself. Uh-huh. How to hide your hips. Oh, yeah. How to hide your wrinkles. For sure. How to hide yourself. How to uh, heal yourself, love yourself, free yourself. <laughs> How to lose weight in two weeks. How to lose weight in 10 days. Heck, how to lose weight in two hours. <laughs> how to curb carbs. How to tell good carbs from bad carbs. How to eat chocolate and still lose weight. Okay, that one I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> but I have figured out how to have... Fuller lips, better eyes, better surgeries, better workouts, better face, uh, all because I have the right lip gloss. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So when will it not matter if I'm too fat or too skinny or have too many laugh lines or crow's feet or, or age spots, all those things I'm, I'm getting because I'm stressing about aging? <laughs> How do you get a 20-something body when you're you know, 40-something? And what a ridiculous question is that? How does anybody get a 20-something body without, you know, liposuction or, or spanks or lip work, eye work, workouts, you know, lots of work? And, and why can't my body just, you know, kind of sag or shrink or, or sink if that's what it really wants to do? And why can't I wear my fat pants as my everyday pants? That's what I want to know. And, and when will you tell me that I'm, that I'm enough? Quite enough. You know, without all this. <laughs> Is that even possible? I mean, when will I stop striving to be something that I, I, I can't be, won't be, or, or, or strive to be just to make you like me or love me or... See me. <laughs> well, it didn't get me the man. <laughs> and it didn't get me happiness. And it didn't get me the job. You know, it didn't get me any self-esteem or self-worth or, or self-anything. It didn't get me what I, what I wanted. What, it, it didn't get me what I needed. See, I just needed more love, more attention, more hope, more, more. When will you tell me that I'm enough? I mean, will I ever hear that? And when will I decide I'm enough? So, why can't a 40-something just look like a 40-something? Or maybe a 50-something? So why can't my body sag, sink, or shrink if that's really what it wants to do? Why can't it? Why can't I just do that?
I remember uh, just thinking about this while I was watching that. Last year, uh, Jenna and my wife, we were at a ministry school in California, and we were with a group of about 80 people one day. And I remember the day we walk in, and the people that were leading our group, about five to six of them, they walk in with full-body mirrors. And it was mirror ministry day. And we were being in that room for about an hour and a half, And all people were doing the whole day, it was amazing how hard it was for people to look in a mirror and really look at themselves, not just pass by and actually speak unconditional love over themselves that you are enough or you have what it takes or I love you just for who you are to actually extend to ourselves the same unconditional love that God extends to us. And for about an hour People are weeping, even sobbing across the room because when they look in the mirror every day, the last thing that they actually extend to themselves is love. And so before we go forward, I'm just going to pray that we somehow hear God's perspective today and that he would move. So if you would bow your heads with me, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, God, we need you today. We need your voice, we need your truth, and we pray freedom would abound in this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, and speak through every moment, through every element, through every word, that your spirit, your presence, God, would fill this room and people would be invited and people would come into a place of seeing ourselves the way you see us, that we leave here with your perspective, your truth. And your affection over ourselves and over our lives, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. It's, uh, it's funny, a couple of years ago, I, um, it was about a Saturday. And uh, Jenna, I think she was out of town or she was doing something. So naturally, like I do a lot, I went over to my parents' house. Some of you guys know them, Ann and Dave. And uh, so we go over to their house. And, you know, I think I'm just going to be hanging out. But, of course, it's a Saturday and it's the summer. And so there's yard work that needs to be done, and I thought I was going to spend my time hanging out, and they somehow grappled me into a ton of yard work. Not the Saturday I was expecting, so I was trimming the bushes, making everything look nice, right? And so at one point, my mom says to me, she's like, so last summer, I tried to get rid of the tulips, so I cut them, but then they all grew back. Why? Because they didn't get down to the roots and, like, the seeds of where they were. So she's like, that's what you need to do. And I'm like, oh, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a strong young guy, so I'm like, I'm going to take care of it. I go over there for the next two hours, most frustrating experience ever. And you know when you get mad when you're doing work? I just like am throwing stuff randomly because I'm mad about it. But these roots, these seeds were so deep, it took so much work to actually uproot them, right? And it's funny because the year before, right, like they were cut and they came back. Why? Because underneath the surface, actually no work was done. And so I remember having the shovel and they were so like the root system and the, all the, the bulbs, like the tulip bulbs, they're all like intertwined. So I, I remember for like two hours having the shovel and just jumping on it as hard as I could and, and nothing would move. And I just did that forever. But after about two hours, I had this whole root system and all these things and I'm trying to get all of them out. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of work. And as I was driving home, it's funny, I was thinking more about that. And what I started to realize is how often we actually do that in our own lives, right? Like we take care of the stuff on the surface, so we look presentable maybe to the people around us, but very rarely do we do the hard work of going beneath the surface into the places that no one sees and actually start to do the work of transformation, of uprooting maybe these places in our lives of deceit or where lies are, right? I think a lot of times, even in the church, right, the surface stuff is our behavior, Like we love behavior modification, but actually the truth is our behavior will always come from a place of what we believe in, that our behavior is affected by our beliefs. And it's my hope today as we talk about body image, that we wouldn't just stay at the surface place and focus maybe on the symptom, right? Maybe on what we can see, but we go a little bit deeper. What do I mean into the belief systems beneath the surface of what we're actually dealing with internally every day of our lives? I love what it says in Romans 12, 2. It says, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That transformation in your life, it starts with changing the way you think between your ears. That real behavior transformation starts with a belief transformation. And it's funny, as we talk about addictions, what I think and what I realize is so often... We want to fix the above the surface stuff when really it's below the surface, these wounds and this pain, maybe these memories, these places in our lives where actually our behavior is being affected because of that. And it's interesting for me, most of my life, I really struggled with lust. I struggled with pornography from the age I was 12. And as I became a man and started following Jesus, I was doing everything I could to clean that up. And to get rid of it. And what I started to realize when I started to find victory and freedom in that, it's because I started to change what I was attacking. What do I mean? For so often, my whole objective was like cut lust out, change this. And for so many years, I found no transformation and felt so hopeless and in despair. I remember even praying at times, God, will you just take this away? And feeling like God says, he said no, because I want to teach you how to win so you can teach others how to win. And whether you're, you know, your, your craving is, you know, the bottle, like we talked about last week, if it's approval, if it's pornography, if it's perfect body, I believe it actually all starts from these deep layers of pain underneath that we are not dealing with emotionally. When I started to find victory in my life, it's because I realized I was going to pornography as a place of comfort 
because I was fighting the beneath the surface feelings of possibly feeling like a failure or feeling like I'm not good enough. And I was trying to be perfect and I couldn't live up to the expectations. And because of these emotional things down within me, it actually drew me to this. But until I dealt with the beneath the surface stuff, I never started to find victory above the surface. Like you can hide it and you can make it look good. But what I believe God is inviting us into the day for each and every one of us is to not just ask, what am I dealing with? But to go below a little deeper and go into the why. And what I believe is you're never going to win a battle if you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're never going to win a battle if you fight a wrong enemy. So we talk about body image. I don't want to focus on like maybe a band-aid. I want to get down into the nitty-gritty, maybe where that wound developed. And hopefully the truth of God, the identity and the spirit of God will breathe into that place and bring absolute truth. It says in John 8, 32, that you'd know the truth and the truth will set you free. That we would not just ask what today, but we'd go deeper and ask why. Because I really believe that if you want to know what enemy you're fighting, look at what you're maybe struggling with, whatever that might be for you, that negative emotion, and ask, not what am I dealing with, but why is it there? And some of you guys probably, if you studied it all in psychology, I was looking up even this week, the cycle of addiction. And so whether you're dealing with something or not, I think this is really educational because you'll probably talk to someone someday, whether you're dealing with it or not, And you'll need to know this information to give them freedom. So if you guys will, I I actually brought it up. This is actually the cycle of addiction. What does it mean? An emotional trigger. What does that mean? There's feelings in you, whether that's a fear, whether it's feelings of unworthiness, not being good enough, not looking the way I should look, right? These negative emotions that boil up within of us, and a lot of times those have taken root like the tulips at some point in your life. It was planted a seed of deception, So you have a memory, you didn't do good enough on a test, right? And you have feelings of inadequacy. Look at the moment where you first stepped into your craving, and instead of asking, what did I do? Ask, what was I feeling right before I did it? Was I feeling unworthy? Was I feeling like I wasn't good enough? Because what often happens is this, we have a craving because this pain boils up within us and we need this comfort. And so then we enter into the addiction activity. Why? For temporary relief. It's like self-medication, but then so many of you guys know, right, immediately when you enter into this place, what ends up happening? Oh my gosh, there's so much guilt, there's so much shame, and eventually you go right back to what? The emotional trigger that you tried to mask in the first place because the temporary addiction didn't mask the pain enough. And so this starts the cycle of addiction. Some of you guys have probably been there, messed up, feel like crap. How am I going to deal with that? I'm going to go right back to where I was before. And that's where I think we get the idea of you're spiraling out of control. And so today, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through three things. The three things, especially with body image, but I believe whatever you're dealing with, wherever you're at, right, we all have things we struggle with. But I believe if you want to win a battle, you need to know the enemy you're fighting. So I want to go through for body image. I've talked to some people and really prayed about this. What are the three enemies we are normally fighting with any addiction, but especially when we enter into body image? And so my first one is this. What is enemy number one? Is this. I believe false comfort and false refuge. I had an experience this week. These are my confessions. These are my confessions. Oh, sure? No one? Okay. I had a really bad day. I remember being at work. I left work. I was driving home. Some of you guys, I I, I live up up that way. I'm not going to give you my location because I don't don't trust all you. Um... (laughs) But I'm driving by and I'm going to my house and I had a really bad day. And you know where I'm passing up on? I think five guys. 
and I had a bad day. And it's funny because I was talking about this message, and I'm like, I just want to eat. I need, I need some food. Like, I had a bad day. I did it. I went in. I, I fell. I went and got not one burger. I got two burgers from five guys. And I remember eating it in my car. What is going on? I am looking for food to bring me comfort in my emotional pain or trigger. It says this. Uh, some studies um, on a food disorder website, it says eating disorders are a silent addiction hidden behind a wall of secrecy and shame. An estimated 80 million Americans, 10 to 15% of the population, which is good to know if you're in this room and you're dealing with that, you're not alone, are afflicted with food disorders such as anorexia. What is anorexia? Willful starvation and excessive exercise in pursuit of perfect thinness. Anorexics believe if they gain control of their weight, they will also gain control over the other parts of their lives. Bulimia, uncontrollable eating, followed by purging either by vomiting, laxatives, or other methods. Bulimics purge physically in an attempt to purge unacceptable feelings such as anger, loneliness, and depression. Obesity, compulsive overeating in an attempt to fill an emotional void. Overeaters use food to tranquilize their feelings, especially anger. What I found interesting as I was reading those and researching this is what? There is an emotion tied to every one of those behaviors. That actually the behavior is stimulated, is activated because of something deeper going on with inside of us. And I think especially, like, I'm thinking about, like, Orion. It's so easy for a lot of us in this room because we're in a very high-class, like, society. It's very easy for us to be like, well, I got the house, I got the car, I have a successful job. And because of that, because the outward appearance, the tulips look good, we actually, by society, are like, man, everything's good. I don't have to go below the surface. Right? But I would challenge us, like, what is going on beneath the surface what is actually going on and it's interesting like can you guys imagine this is what i want to say i believe that food especially in any addiction brings a false sense of comfort and i believe we are all created with needs by god we were created with a need for comfort how do i know that imagine when you're like three years old for me like thunderstorms happen some of you guys probably know and you that have kids a lot of times they run to their parents Why? Because when they are fearful, it actually triggers them to run to a place of safety. Remember when there was a thunderstorm, like I was three, we had a hallway that was like 20 feet wide thunderstorm. I would book like four, four down that hall at three years old. Because you're scared, I just feel like, ah, and I go jump in my parents' bed. There's something innate in us that we have needs that actually God wants to be the fulfillment of those needs. And what happens with addictions, whatever it may be, it's almost like the enemy, because there is an enemy of our soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, presents these false what? These false places of comfort that in the moment might bring temporary relief, but ultimately will lead to destruction in your life. Imagine like the top thrill dragster. This is how I believe the enemy works. He makes the entrance look beautiful and un, unseemingly innocent. Like you're 16 at a party and it's like, man, I'm just going to have a beer to drink. Or I'm 12 years old. I'm going to have, look at porn. Or I'm going to, you know, throw up to get rid of this thing. How many of you guys know, like I believe this. The first time I looked at porn when I was 12 years old, the enemy was already thinking about how to destroy my marriage when I was 24. I mean, you guys know the first drink you took when you were 16, the enemy's already thinking that open door, I'm going to use that to destroy their whole life 30 years from now. And so what happens, the enemy, like, it's like you go on top fill drag store and you're like, man, this looks awesome. Look at the entrance. I get on the ride. Little did we know the ride got cut off in the middle and it just leads to destruction and death. 
And so often we just get on it. Can you imagine getting on a ride like that? You'd be like, I would never get on that ride. But so often we enter into these unhealthy behaviors that are emotionally triggered. And we go to this place for self-medication and temporary relief. But how many of you guys know, just like me, as soon as that's done right after, it didn't, the pain didn't go anywhere. If anything, it only got worse. And then we go back to it in order to find more relief. And so the mindset shift, what is the beneath the surface? Oh my gosh, when we have these feelings, right? These negative emotions, God is a much better refuge than any other thing in the world. Do you believe that that God is actually your refuge and your place of comfort? What does it say in Psalm 91 and constantly in the scriptures? It talks about God as a place of refuge. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That God is actually the refuge that will save and addictions are the refuge that will steal. And so I think so often what we need to ask, what is the need I am actually trying to meet? I look back at my life and when I found Jesus, and you know what I discovered? My whole life I was looking for acceptance because I didn't know I was already accepted by God. I was looking for love because I didn't know I was already loved. I was looking to be perfect because I didn't know he already saw me as perfect. I was looking for forgiveness because I didn't know I was already forgiven. The beautiful news, the good news of the gospel is what? I am loved by God. I don't have to strive in the world to get this, but I actually can go vertical. That I don't need to search for all these things. And the biggest deception the enemy wants us to believe is that we actually have to fight for something God already gave us freely through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you want to know where refuge is, where to go for comfort, it's to Jesus. You know when my life changed? I know we're talking about body image, but I just feel like I should say this. I remember coming home one day, I was battling through pornography, and I led a small group. And believe me, I, especially growing up playing football, have to fight against performance mentality. What does that mean? Being perfect instead of just giving my best and being excellent. And I remember leading a small group in the car, and I'm talking to God because I'm in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I remember being in the car and thinking, I sucked leading that small group tonight. That wasn't any good. Anyone ever felt like that after doing something? And I remember driving in the car, and this is what the Lord said to me. He said, well, I thought it was awesome. Who are you going to believe? And he gave me this choice. And I said, you know what? I'm going to believe you. I'm going to let you be my comfort. I'm going to let you be my refuge. And I'm going to believe even what you think more than what I think. I'm going to surrender all that I am to you. And you know what I started to discover is those cravings started leaving. Like, because why? I was emotionally aware of what was going on with me. I didn't wake up in the morning and be like, oh my gosh, I had this craving. Why? Because I actually took the time to get healthy internally, to go beneath the surface and started making God my first refuge. What does he say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to give you guys a few statements at the end of all these enemy statements. You know what unhealthy says? You know what unhealthy does? Unhealthy finds comfort in this world or in substances. Healthy 
finds rest in the comfort of God. Unhealthy finds comfort that leads to destruction. Healthy finds comfort that leads to life. That God actually wants to be so close and is so for you that he wants to be your place of comfort. And the beautiful thing about him is his arms are always open. And when you come to him, you can be your full self all the times because he never looks at you and sends you away. I think a lot of times we don't make God our refuge because we think we have to perform when we go to him. But he says, no, just come just as you are. I'll take you as you are. And he's so good. He'll meet us right where we're at, but he'll take us higher to become who he made us to be. Enemy number two, comparison. I feel like comparison is at an all high in our culture. Why? Everyone can see what everyone's doing all the time. Next week, we're talking about the mobile device, the addiction to social media or whatever that might be and how that can be unhealthy. But how many of you guys, this is a question I realized in my life. I just got off for a while. How many of, how many of us have you ever emotionally tracked how you feel off, after getting off social media? I think very rarely anyone gets off and be like, man, I feel good about myself, right? Like, do you ever get off and think, I'm killing it? Yes. No, what do we do? We're like, oh man, I wish my body looked like that. I wish my life was this. We're getting these highlight reels and we're comparing our lives to them. And I said, what is comparison? This is what I believe comparison is. Comparison is getting your identity horizontally. What do I mean? There's two things. The fruit of comparison is this. It is pride and it is shame. Why is it pride? If I look next to someone and I say, I'm doing better than you. Pride. Right? Why do I? I actually think we like comparison sometimes because it makes us feel good about ourselves. Yeah, you're making that much money. I'm making this much money. (laughs) Right? We feel better about ourselves. But here's the truth that you guys know it. It might lead to pride sometimes, but it will always at the end of the day lead to shame. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you look to the left or the right. At some point you'll realize... Man, they're making more money than me. They look better than me. They're more athletic than me. They're smarter than me. It's just the reality of the world. So what is the truth that God has invited? How do we break comparison? Oh my gosh, we just go vertical. God, what do you think about me? What would it be like to walk into a room and not be in competition with anyone else in there? But you actually can celebrate people. Why? Because them being great doesn't mean you're less than them. Why? Because you got your identity from Jesus. There's this study in Time magazine that says only 7% of women look like the models on a billboard. We are being sold a bill of good. It's not fulfilling. And what we see in advertising most of the time isn't even real. And so we look at this stuff and what does it sound like in our head? Man, I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I'll never be like so-and-so. I'll never preach like that person. I'll never look like them, right? And here's the truth, and here's a healthy perspective of just embracing yourself. You know what's healthy? Embracing yourself, who God made you to be, and giving your best. Because the truth is, God will never call you to be someone else. He will only call you to be yourself. And you know what else is true? He will not call you to be responsible for what he gave someone else. He's going to ask you on the day of judgment, what did you do with what I gave you? He's not going to say, so that person did that. You will be responsible with your life for what he gave you personally. What does it say in Psalm 139, 13? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is David writing this in the psalm. What is he saying? I have never knitted, but I imagine when people knit, they had something in mind before they made it. 
What do I mean? No one just starts like knitting. They think, I'm going to make a sock. And then they start knitting the sock. I'm going to make a hat. And they start knitting the hat. What do I mean? They had something in mind before they started creating. How many of you guys know that then when you were created in the womb, you were not your parents' idea. You were not society's idea. You were not your own idea, but you were God's idea that he knit you together. What does that mean? That intrinsically he has put something in you that is completely unique to who you are, that no one can actually be you except you. And God actually loves the way that he made you. He doesn't want you to be anyone else. Isn't that good news? He's not comparing you. He's saying, be who I made you to be. And I think so often we find ourselves in weird positions because we're actually trying to do things God never called us to do. We're actually trying to be someone God never called us to be. It's funny playing sports. Um, some of you guys know I played with the Detroit Lions for a little bit, and there was this guy my locker was right next to named Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson was a wide receiver, 6'5", 230, 4'3". Those are all things I'm not. Okay? And I remember every day, how foolish would it be for me to look at Calvin and think, I'm going to do what he does. I'm going to do what got him. Let me tell you, some of you guys know football. His release move is like this. Dude's in front of him. He's so much bigger than everyone. He just, he just pushes them to the side and goes. If I tried to do that, nothing would happen. The person would just stay there. So what does that mean? Obviously, this is an athletic illustration, but there are things certain people that can do that you can't do, and it'd be foolish to try to do those things. It'd be foolish to try to look like them. It'd be foolish to try to think like them. Why? Because there's something that God's given you that is unique to you that he wants you to use. Because there's certain things I could do that Calvin couldn't do. Not very many, but they were there. Why? Because I'm shorter. I can move laterally faster than he probably could. Because I'm low to the ground. Right? But there's certain things. So why would I try to do what he's going to do? I remember even the first time I started speaking, I'd watch like these really talented speakers like Judah Smith or Carl Lentz or whoever they are. And it's even, it's a temptation in anything we do in life, right? Like here's the model of success. Maybe it worked for them because they did what they were called to do. I remember giving like messages and I'd be done and feel like, I don't think that was very good. Like I didn't feel ownership over it. Why? Because I was giving someone else's message. People get up on stage and even speak and it's like, I'm going to be like that person. No. Be who God made you to be. And it's interesting, even in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over creation. I really believe that the Spirit and the anointing, the Spirit of God and the grace of God in your life will be most activated, what? When you are being creative and you're not imitating. The enemy imitates, God creates. And the most beautiful thing you could do to unlock the destiny that God has for you is be the person he made you to be. Your story is unique. It is needed who you are. And even your body, stop trying to compare your body to everyone else. Be the best you that you can be. That's what God is calling you to. And I love this, even with our past and our stories, that you have a story only you can give through the life only you have lived. Give your story. It's beautiful. It's needed. And I really believe this. When you're trying to be someone else, it's actually a slap in the face to the God who made you exactly how he wanted You're saying, you didn't do a good job creating me. God loves the way he made you. He loves the way you think. He loves the story and the voice that you have. Unhealthy says, I'm trying to be someone else. Unhealthy says, I'm comparing and feeling like I'm never good enough. Healthy is embracing yourself who God made you to be and giving your best. It's not a license to just be like, 
all right, cool, I'm just going to do whatever. But bring your best forth. Give him your best as an act of worship. Don't stay where you are. And this is what I said, the last healthy thing. Choosing a lifestyle that is healthy for you and creating a plan that is unique to you. Obviously, it's good to get input and get mentors. But if someone's calling you to do something that you feel like isn't unique to who God made you to be, it's okay to just say, hey, that's not me. I want to bring my full self to the table. And so before our third point, we got one more. Um, we're going to have the ushers come down. We're going to receive the offering. And what you give is unique to you. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> What's your 10%? Um, uh, so, but, but, but seriously, as, if you're new, uh, you can take this moment. You're our guest. We're so happy you're here. But some of you guys know if this is, God does amazing things with the finances that are given here. And so this is just an opportunity for you to partner with that. And, and I would also say, some of you guys know, um, we'll touch on it a little bit more later on the service, but in the lobby, there's so many places to connect. And whatever you're going through, like this service is amazing and the inspiration can set you free forever. And what God does in your life right now and the truth he reveals to you can be amazing. But there is something about transformation that happens over the long haul and over progress. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten in a group or you know about Celebrate Recovery or you're struggling with someone, whether you're a teenager, there's a place for you or you're an adult, go get plugged in. If you want to win, fight with people alongside of you. I would encourage you to do that. And so enemy number three, does anyone know? You don't have to, you guys don't have to answer. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think it is. And I believe this is the biggest one. Self-hatred and self-worth. Kind of what we talked about at the end of the day. When you look at the mirror, what, is, what are the thoughts that go through your head? Really? Because I know for me, before I knew the truth about what God said to me, most of the time I'd, I'd think, man, what am I doing? Who am I? And I believe the truth is how you view yourself, how you view anything will actually dictate how you treat it. Continue on in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 14, this is beautiful. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How oh, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know why you're valuable? You know why humanity is valuable? Because we were made in the image of God. I was researching last night how much Van Gogh paint, paintings count. You guys know Van Gogh, famous painter. Some of his paintings go for 57 million. Now I was looking at the paintings and I'm like, that doesn't look amazing to me. You know why they're valuable? They're valuable because of who painted them. The worth of every person in this room is the blood of Jesus. Invaluable. The highest price. And those of you who believe in Jesus, you know his spirit comes in you and there's a rebirth that our bodies are temples of the living God. It's interesting if I uh, remember my brother in high school, he had this like 1991 probe stick shift. And I'll tell you what, we did not take care of that thing very nice. 
about 100,000 miles. He probably crashed it like three times. <laughs> He's a really bad driver. Anyway, imagine how much different you would treat that car that seems to have no worth to like a Ferrari in your garage. Some people don't even drive their nice cars. It's just there to look good. But it's interesting how you view that will completely dictate how you treat it, how you wash it, how you take care of the inside of it. I believe a lot of us in this room, the reason we don't treat ourselves well, even physically, even the people we associate with, is something happened in our lives where we started to believe my worth is zero. My worth is nothing. And because of that, I treat myself like trash. I I let people treat me like that. But something beautiful starts to happen when I am renewed in my mind, right? That leads to transformation. When I start to understand I am priceless. You know what? How you know what something's worth is by what you would pay for it. Everyone in this room, what the gospel represents, the good news of Jesus, he says, you are priceless. You were bought with the highest price. I see you. I know you. I love you. And I think what starts to happen so often, we partner with this like self rejection, this self-worth, self-hatred, because we actually believe deep down that if I'm really hard on myself and tear myself down, it will build me up. But I believe in the kingdom of God, when you want to build someone up, build them up. But a lot of times we think if we look in the mirror and we say, you're not good enough, get your act together. You look terrible. What if you need to do this? You need to do that. And we actually believe that is going to motivate us into transformation. It's funny, I've used a lot of football illustrations. I remember returning punts in football. Some of you guys know the punt returner, they go back there and everyone's there. And I'm just by myself waiting to catch this punt and 11 dudes are coming down trying to kill me. And let me tell you, if I sat there the whole time, this would be so dumb. This is what we do in Christianity and we think it's gonna, I don't know, lead to something good. What if I sat back there and be like, man, I'm the worst at this. I suck at this. The ball's gonna come and I'm gonna drop it and everyone's gonna hate me. And everyone's going to be against me. They're going to kick me off the team. I'm not qualified to be back there. Let me tell you what would happen. I don't think anything very good. But that's what we do, right? Why do we think that's helping us? It's not. But when you get back there and you think, All right, I'm, going to, I'm going to catch this thing. I'm going to break this game wide open. I'm back here because I'm supposed to be back here. I'm going to catch this. I'm going to split this right down the seam. And it's going to bust the whole stadium open. I was made for this. I'll tell you what, something good is about to happen. It's funny how we understand that in other aspects of our life, but so often what we meditate on just actually tears us down. How many of you guys know when you look in the mirror, what does it say? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you look in the mirror and you have those thoughts of self-criticism, you're not good enough. You're gross. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? You're agreeing with a lie. And when you agree with a lie, you empower it. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 10, 5? It says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? When you look in the mirror, you know what God never says? He never says gross. He never says ugly. He never says not good enough. But what does he say in the Psalms? The knowledge of God, he says, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together with a purpose and with a destiny. I love you so much just as you are, and I'm going to make you and grow you into the person I made you to be. And every time we look in the mirror, and every time you look at someone else in this room, and you have thoughts 
that are against the truth and the knowledge of God, you are becoming a mouthpiece and you are meditating on the, the lies of hell. But there's something beautiful. Some of us need to go home and you just need to write on your mirror all the things Jesus says to me. I'm valuable because I was purchased with the blood of Jesus. I'm unique and special because I was made in the image of God. I am a conqueror because the spirit of God lives in me. And as you look at yourself and you have any thought come into your mind that is not biblically true and not the word of God, take it captive. Make it obedient to the truth of Christ. And you start meditating on what Jesus says about you. And something starts to happen. That truth will start to set you free. And that truth and that renewing of your mind will actually start to transform your life. And so what I think is beautiful today is we're going to end with a time of communion. And it's, uh, I want you to think about something. I, I didn't talk about this in the first service, but I remember a few, uh, about a year ago, anyone ever been to the Detroit Institute of Bagels? Bagels, I say bagels wrong. Anyone ever been there? It's this really cool bagel shop. It was like this old rundown, you know, building in Detroit. And I was there and I had this thought, how many people drove by this spot and said, oh, look at that. That's garbage right there. Oh, nothing good's going to ever be there. That used to be something, but it's nothing now. And then someone drove by it someday and said, with vision, and said, I'm going to make this place into a really cool breakfast spot with coffee, awesome bagels. And I was in there and I was like, this place is really cool. It's packed with people. It was amazing. And someone said, you know what? That's valuable to me. Everyone else might see it as broken and not good, but that's valuable to me. So what did they do? They paid the price for it. And then what they do, they went in and they started working it and transformed it to make it something beautiful that the whole community was going to be helped with. For some of you in this room, you might feel like people just drove by you your whole life. No one saw you. No one saw anything valuable. What Jesus is trying to say right now, he stopped. And it might have looked like sin. He says he came for the sinners to make them saints. And it may look ugly and maybe it looks gross. But he stopped. And what the cross says, he stopped and said, you're beautiful to me. And with his blood, he purchased you. And as you believe in him, his spirit comes inside and he starts to build up the walls again. He starts to make you beautiful, that you would flourish and that you would help the world around you. As communion's being passed out, it's going to be two cups. So just know there's going to be juice and then a bread underneath it. So take both cups out. And we're going to take it together after we sing this song. But as you take communion, you look at that 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 bread, and you look at that juice that represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you, the blood that was spilt for you. You know what that represents? This is my worth. He paid the ultimate price. Why? Because he saw you as valuable, and he wants to transform your life. He wants to make it beautiful. He paid the highest price for you. His body was broken for you. Why? Because he loves you. And so as we sing this song, let this wash over you. Take the elements. We'll take it together at the end of the song. The song just says, the Father's arms are open wide. Come. Because you know what? The mirror, when you look into Jesus' eyes, you know what he says to you? You're beautiful to me. I have a plan for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He never turns his back. He never looks away. But he says, come as you are. Let me make something beautiful in you. So just pray with me right now. Jesus. God, I pray right now as we play this music and we take this communion element, bring people right now back into memories, Jesus, where they started to believe things about themselves that are not true.
And I pray right now, God, your truth that's sharper than any double-edged swords that cuts the bone and marrow to spirit and soul, you would cut out every lie, God, that you would bring out the seeds of deception and that you would plant a new garden of truth, God. Pray that you'd breathe over this room, God, that we'd see you like never before. And as we look in the mirror today and tomorrow, we would meditate on the truth of Jesus, that we would find our worth in you, that we wouldn't look to the left or the right, God, but we'd find comfort in you. We'd find identity in you. We'd find our self-worth in you and the good news of your gospel, Jesus. We love you, God, and we ask you speak now in Jesus' name. Amen.
together that represents the blood that was spilled on behalf of our sins that also shows the value of who Jesus sees us as. Go ahead and drink this juice. So today we're going to end with one more song and I would encourage all you guys to sing it out. We're singing the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that conquers every lie, the truth that shatters lies. And I would encourage you as you sing this song, make the decision in your mind that today as you leave this place, as you look in the mirror from this place, that you would start to recite over your body, over your life, over your mind, the truth of Jesus. That you'd make that decision as you sing this song and say, no longer am I going to listen to lies, but I'm going to believe the truth about Jesus and who he says I am. So let's sing this together right now. Surrounding me, let it break at 
you guys leave. Um, next week, we said it, we're going to be wrapping up the series talking about um, really digital media, but there's going to be a moment next week that I really want you to hear about. There's going to be this place, we're calling them life tokens, where you will come up here and say there's something God's been speaking to you in this series, something he's calling you to surrender or give up, that you're actually going to be able to come up and just leave that element, whatever it is, maybe it's representing something in your life, you're just going to leave it here. Remember at a midweek a couple of years ago, a girl came up and something spoke to her in the service about surrender and she went home and she crashed and destroyed her laptop because it was just bad for her. And from that moment experienced significant transformation. Maybe some of you need to throw your iPad or your phone or whatever that is for you. There's going to be a moment for that. If you want, as Ryan said earlier, there's so many places to sign up. We'd encourage you, go sign up, find Celebrate Recover. If you're going through something, if you're young or if you're older, there's something for you. And if you want prayer, there's going to be people up here. Have a great day. I say go Pats, baby. I see a Patriots jersey. That's me. You have to have a good team when you have the Lions. Anyway, have a great day. We love you guys. Have a blessed day. Amen.